Hey guys, and welcome to Kaisis, a podcast about living our new life in the new covenant age. Our podcast name comes from two Greek words, kaine kitesis, which mean new creation. I'm your co-host Osvaldo Valdez, and let me welcome Pastor Todd Bordeaux. Welcome to our podcast. It's good to have you on Kaisis and uh, Osvaldo. Welcome and how are you doing tonight? Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Good, good. It's uh, beautiful outside and uh, we get to talk about the freedom we have in the Holy Spirit. So not a bad day. What do you think? Not at all. You mind if I update our listeners regarding our new Facebook page? Oh yeah, go for that. So um, for those of you who don't know, we finally have a Facebook page. Kaisis, K-A-I-S-I-S. So we'll be posting our new episodes there. So check us out every Friday. We'll post, we'll update you whenever our new episode um, comes up. And there you can kind of um, comment if you have any questions after you hear our, our podcast. And we'll try to communicate with you uh, whenever we can. So give us a like and give us a follow. And then you can be updated whenever we upload episodes. Any other thoughts, Pastor Todd? Now, let's get started. We're going to talk about today, and, and sort of segueing off last week, the Holy Spirit and personal convictions. We went over this a bit in Sunday school this past week. But the distinction between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, especially how we live our lives before God, is very beautiful and unique. The first thing we, we have to note as we're reading our Bibles is, the new covenant is not as exact as the old covenant. Now, that's obvious to anyone who simply reads through their Bible. As you read the Mosaic Law, there are hundreds of laws of what is clean and what is unclean, what you are allowed to do and not do, touch and not touch. But then when we come to the new covenant, all those laws, the laws fulfilled in Christ, and we talked about the ethic of the new covenant is now a a heavenly ethic, and therefore what we have for the most part, though there are some specific commands that are can only be applied in certain instances. For example, um, we think of the command that you should marry a believer. That would apply, obviously, in that circumstance. It wouldn't apply to people who aren't getting married, of course. But the majority of the commands in the New Covenant are more general characteristics or general principles. Jesus summarizes the ethic of the new covenant as love one another as I have loved you. So we think of the imperatives throughout the New Testament, and they are more along the lines of these general type characteristics of Christ. Serve one another, forgive one another, pray, uh, give thanks, Whatever you do, do to the glory of God. You know, we think of the different, um, you know, work hard. Very general principles. Um, submit to your governing authorities. But there are always questions about, well, what are the limits of these? When? How do I do this? How does that look? And, and what we 
realizes that there is much room in the new covenant for personal convictions. Where you didn't have that type of thing in the old covenant, if you wanted to know what pleased God, you really could go to the law and simply do what the law said. You know, you couldn't do the law perfectly, but it was spelled out in such detail that you could regulate your life that way. But in the new covenant, with all these general principles and characteristics, there's all these room, all this room for personal conviction. How does the Lord want me to serve? What what does love look like in my context? And it may not look the same in your context. What does parenting in a Christian way look like in my context, in my culture? And how someone answers that won't look the same to someone else. How do I glorify God in what I watch on television? That won't look the same. And so there's all this room for this personal freedom. And so, Osvaldo, do you think sometimes people have a hard time with the difference between the old covenant law and what we see in the New Testament of how to live our lives? Of, of what do we do with that? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think people's reaction is, is one, obviously they're, they're scared because they, they think that freedom would lead to just some sort of chaos to unrighteous living or sinful living. So people's um, knee-jerk reaction is to turn um, the Christian life to, or they try to adopt an old covenant model into the Christian life. And that simply isn't the case. And, and, and we have to think here in biblical theological terms, right? So first of all, we have to ask ourselves, why in the new covenant do we have this shift in ethic. So before, there wasn't, not to say that there wasn't such a thing as personal convictions, but you see here in, in the New Covenant, there's actually a focus and there's actually an explicit freedom given to Christians to have personal convictions. And the way we answer that is by saying, well, unlike the New Covenant, the Old Covenant was tied to a particular land and given to an ethnic, particular ethnic people, the Jews. And that was obviously a picture of heaven. It pointed towards a future time. Now, in the New Covenant, we have something very different. We see that in the New Covenant, we have the inclusion of Gentiles. So we see that the New Covenant is not just tied to one ethnic people and to one culture, but rather it is open to all types of people. And now you see that although the Old Covenant kind of focused on, on a particular geographical land, you don't actually see that in the New Covenant in this side of glory. In the Old Covenant, you focused on the piece of land that is Israel. And then the New Covenant, you think about the whole world. The whole world is going to be God's Israel. The whole world is going to be God's God's kingdom. So that is kind of the why as to why we have this, this shift. Because, because um, you need that type of flexibility and you need that type of freedom to include all types of people. Or else, I mean, that, that wouldn't be possible. We only have one nation and one type of people. And we try to restrict it like the Old Covenant. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, I would add to that. Um, you have two things going on, the expansion into the the rest of the world and all different cultures and backgrounds. But also the fact that the, the new covenant treats God's people as adults, where the old covenant treated them more like children. And so we have this freedom because being filled with the Spirit we have this adult relationship with God. When, when we're 
you know, I related to when your children are in the home, you give them a bedtime. But when they're 18 and they move out, they have to go to sleep on their own. They have to have their own convictions, their own maturity. They have to ask the question, what what do I do now that is best? There's nobody telling them when to go to bed. And that's sort of the way God treats us in the new covenant. We're full-fledged adults now. And so we can follow our own convictions. And so there's a transition, like you said, from Israel to the world. And there's also a transition from childhood to adulthood in the new covenant. And that's what, in both ways, it makes it more glorious. So let, let me move on to the next point and then get your thought. And that is that what's really, I think, and you, you mentioned it, it scares people. That sin in the new covenant is not only right and wrong, according to the Bible, but right and wrong according to you. So in Romans 14, it says, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. And then later on, so whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Can you imagine a first century Jew Think of how incredibly shocking this would be, that you have a a minister who has the Old Testament in his hand who says, nothing is really unclean, except if you personally think it is. Then it's unclean for you. What would that sound like to a Jew back then? Completely shocking. That was was completely absent in, in the Old Covenant. Yeah, so we have this New Covenant ethic that goes from telling you what you're allowed and not allowed to touch and what is clean and unclean to say, you know, nothing out in the world in itself is unclean. But if you think it's wrong, don't do it. And you're blessed if you follow your own conviction between you and God. That This is amazing language because we're very comfortable with a strict set of rules for life, aren't we? Yeah. And so what do we do with this language? As you said, it's shocking. You can understand why the church had to go through a transition from the old covenant to the new with this change. Any thoughts on that? Absolutely. One of the things that I always encourage people to have in mind, especially when reading Romans, is that the Apostle Paul is actually speaking to a a mixed audience. He's speaking to both the Jews and Gentiles who for the first time are actually gathering as one people. Um, intentionally, purposefully, um, to worship one God. That was actually very uh, unusual. It, it, we, we should have in mind that temple worship was primarily between, well, was among the Jews. Uh, you, you don't really have this idea of mixing nationalities. Um, if a Gentile was interested in the Christian in the Jewish religion, that was actually a very rare occurrence. It was not the norm. But now in the New Covenant, that becomes a, the new norm. You, don't, you, you have churches now being mixed, Jews and Gentiles. And with that, obviously, entails uh, different cultures. Like you said, you have Jews who for generations have never eaten pork in their lives. And then you have 
um, their Gentile brother and sister who've eaten pork all their lives, and they don't see any issue with that. So you see this initial culture shock between these two communities who have gathered together as one people. And it's, it's, just, it's just funny um, how, how, how that, that looked like. It, it obviously was a very rough transition. But it's interesting because what Paul here is exhorting and he's encouraging the Christians is that having that flexible and open mindset in the sense that, well, you're allowed to follow your convictions and I'm allowed to uh, follow my convictions because we both do it unto the Lord. This, this approach actually allows um, for the church to be multi-ethnic and still be unified. It's funny how Paul, for him, it's like, you're both doing it for the Lord. So there's not two gods, like the Jews are doing it for their God and the Gentiles are doing it for their God. No, both of you, right, following your own convictions, are doing it for the one God you follow. Hence, allowing for both diversity while maintaining unity. And that was essential in order for having a multi-ethnic church. Yeah, and, and, and of course, beyond ethnicity, you have class, you have... Um, you know, all kinds of differences, you know, backgrounds. Um, but we are to assume then that when we become a Christian, we join a church, that there will be many different convictions of how to live out the Christian life. Of course, if the scripture speaks clearly on a matter, then it's not about personal conviction. If someone comes up and says to me, you know, I'm really convicted I should hate and curse people. And, you know, and I should have sexual relations outside of marriage. Well, then personal convictions don't matter because it's in direct violation of what is clearly taught in the word. But beyond those general principles and commands, we have a myriad of choices to make of how to live our lives. And isn't it wonderful to think that the Holy Spirit honors each of our personal consciences, experiences, backgrounds, he doesn't sort of override it, so we're, we're sort of following something we don't personally feel or believe. Um, he honors all of our differences uh, to be able to live the Christian life according to a way that's, you know, from our conscience, comfortable with us. And I think what happens, I ask you uh, this question, I think especially in our camp, more the conservative camp, you know, whether Reformed or Conservative Baptist, is there such an overreaction to Pentecostalism where you have Christians always talking like, God told me to do this, God told me to do that. And since we don't hold to that type of thing, what we tend to do is go too far and lose that personal that personal conviction that we, we each serve the Lord the way our consciences lead us. And we're supposed to do that. We're, we're allowed to do that. The Holy Spirit guides each of us individually. So do you think maybe that we're overreacting to the other side too much? Um, absolutely. It's interesting how um, these, um, when we, especially when we read like church history, if we, especially reform people, you see this a lot. We, 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 we don't realize it, but we actually cherry pick what we like about our church figures. Um, and we kind of overlook, maybe unintentionally, um, the other stuff that they did. Because if we knew the other convictions that they, that they held, or if we knew the way, the lifestyles that they lived, not to say that they were sinful, they were just different. 
we'd probably um, treat them differently. We wouldn't hold them to to the same um, esteem. And I think you bring up a, a, a really good point regarding um, our, our Pentecostal neighbors and the way that they talk. And we we overreact in such a way that like actually we actually push them away um, from us rather than um, maintaining unity on on the basic fundamentals. Um, for me, it has been really a privilege to be able to read um, a, a charismatic Pentecostal um, uh, theologian by the name of Gordon Fee. It's easy to to get stuck on the issue issue of the gifts and the spirit, and you can actually miss off a lot if you just slightly overlook that one simple issue and just will accept that. Well, Gordon Fee um, holds to that view. Okay, that's his personal conviction, and I have mine. You can actually benefit much from the other stuff that he has to offer in regards to um, the scriptures, in regards to his commentaries, in regards to um, what he has to say in regards to textual criticism. I mean, I think just just one example of how um, if we're just willing to accept that point that everyone has um, a right in Christ to hold personal convictions, I mean, you you, you can actually be enriched. Yeah, and for our listeners, for those who may not be aware, we're we're not saying that Gordon Fee should be put in the same camp as like a Benny Hinn or these frauds that you know are are using people. But Gordon Fee is one of the better ones who is a non cessationist and who you know talks about the the revelatory gifts. But he understands that aspect that even if those of us who don't believe that those gifts continue, we want to tell Pentecostals that. The Spirit is very active in leading and guiding each of his children. Even if it's not in revelation, it is in personal conviction. And and so we don't want to throw out everything having to do with the personal relationship the Holy Spirit has with us because we're overreacting to Pentecostals, right? Yeah. And and one more thing. This issue is very, once again, it's very controversial. One, again, and I'll repeat it, because it scares people because they think that freedom leads to chaos. But the but the, what, what, what Paul is offering us here isn't a freedom without restriction. It's it's freedom within the parameters of Christ's law. It's freedom within, within the parameters of loving your neighbor. So in other words, freedom with love for Paul actually leads towards maturity, order, and unity. And it's interesting, that description there describes a picture of heaven. Because, I mean, when, when, when we think of the church as that community that pictures heaven, I mean, heaven is going to be filled with, with people who come from completely different backgrounds, who didn't live the life that I lived, who didn't hold to the same convictions. And, and I think that once we kind of develop that, that sort of maturity, I think we can kind of appreciate that diversity in a, in a different way rather than seeing it as a challenge to my own convictions. Maybe that diversity is actually a picture of something greater. Yeah, that's a great point. And and really, it leads to the next point, which is the Apostle Paul in Romans 14, after giving us our freedom, after explaining to the church struggling in this way, that each Christian follows their own conscience on matters, then turns to love as the guiding principle. And so he starts with, do not judge the convictions of others in Romans 14. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, does not eat. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. So what's our tendency whenever we find out someone in the church has a different conviction 
whether on politics, on entertainment, uh, public schooling, homeschooling, you know, you name it, whatever it is, we want to make a judgment, don't we? Because we want to believe that whatever is wrong for me must be wrong, period. Why, why would I go through all this trouble of suffering for my conviction to find out that it's not right in God's eyes for everyone, but just for me? There's sort of a letdown for some. And I, I've known people who they sacrifice a lot for their convictions. And when I tell them, that's great. As long as you recognize that's your conviction, not necessarily is it right for everyone. There's an anger or a letdown. It's almost as if, if I'm going to go through all this, this better be biblical. This not just personal, but biblical. And so I want to know that I'm suffering for a reason or that I'm this committed for a reason. And so that's really where we go. But what, what are your thoughts? Do you think, have you seen that a lot? I've actually seen this a lot from big issues like alcohol or tattoos or smoking to something simple as wearing a hat at church. Uh, I'll repeat my statement again that I made last episode. I used to play piano, but I like once again, I, I don't know how to read notes or anything. It was just chords. But the thing was that I actually I went up and I actually had my hat on. It was a Wednesday service and I completely forgot about it. And I wasn't trying to be irreverent or anything. But when I got down. One brother comes up to me like deeply offensive, and it's so funny because he actually quotes um, one of these passages that um, that we're going to read uh, in, in a minute, verses um, twenty and twenty-one. He was saying, but he actually misquoted it, saying, "You know, the Bible says that if your brother doesn't like something, you don't have to do that." And I just looked at him awkward. I was like, "Dude, you know, I wasn't like, I wasn't trying to be disrespectful or anything." But actually, he thought like I was being deeply disrespectful, completely irreverent. And he well, obviously was looking down on me. So that was that was interesting. Something that's not even in the scriptures regarding hat wearing or anything. People make deep, deep judgments about it. Um, have you have have you ever experienced something like that? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, our sin nature assumes the worst, and that's always what hmm. we we have to watch out for because we assume if somebody has a different conviction, either it's because they're a legalist. Or they're not as committed as as us if they're not as strict. That that's our our, our sinful go to, isn't it? Exactly. And I want to highlight something about the passage that you just read because there are two statements here that should completely be antithetical to each other. You have on one side someone who eats um, who who eats everything, and then you have someone who does not eat everything. And in its context, it's very likely that. Um, it was uh, regarding um, the Jews' food laws. You have a Jewish people who did not um, eat pork, sacrificed to the idols. And then you have on the other side, Gentiles who eat pork, sacrificed to the idols. These things should be completely opposed to one another. They're, they're, they, they should be completely opposed. They, they, there, is not, there is no common ground. Yet the end of verse 3 says something for me, something deeply radical. It says, God has accepted them both. For 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 the especially for the Jewish reader, that's that's some, something completely shocking. That's something completely completely foreign. And once again, um, it, it goes back to um, the freedom of the new covenant that God has brought upon uh, has brought has led to Himself. P- 
people from all nations, people from all cultures. And the old covenant has passed away. Um, and the new covenant has fulfilled what was what was said of old. So I think that's just absolutely fascinating. But I kind of want to qualify that a little bit. And, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. Because this obviously this principle is, is flexible. Because there, there are other instances in Scripture where, where Paul actually encourages Christians not to exercise their freedom in such a way that it shocks others to their own detriment. That's actually my sixth point coming up, but we, uh, you can go there now if you want. Oh, yeah. Actually, finish that, and then I'll make my comment. Okay. Well, I was just going to say that as Paul turns to love and how we deal with our different convictions— he never tells us to permanently give up our convictions, else Romans 14 wouldn't need to be written. He, he assumes that people are going to continue to have them. But then he writes, of course, do not judge the convictions of others, assume the worst, or do not pressure others to ignore their convictions. And so, as you said, verse 20, all food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. The context there is, to pressure them. So, for example, inviting them over for fellowship and then putting something in front of them that is okay for you, but is not okay for them to eat. Now you force them to make a choice, either to break fellowship at that moment or to violate their consciences. And so there's a respect for others' convictions that there are certain things we won't do that pressures you, that would cause you to violate your conscience. So the next verse, it says, it is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. The, the context of falling there is violating your conscience. So this doesn't mean as often as used to used to hear this in youth groups all the time, you shouldn't go to any movies that anyone else in the church would struggle with because if they see you in line, then it causes them to stumble. But you're not causing them to stumble driving by and seeing you with a different conviction. Causing them to stumble would be to put pressure on them to violate their own consciences. And so an example of that would be, you know, if, if you're all allowed to see a certain, if, let's say you're in youth group and you're all allowed to see a certain movie, but you know the person who's just joined you is not allowed to see it. His family thinks it's wrong. Well, that's probably the time not to have a 20-minute discussion on how great that movie was because you know your, mm. your brother's going to stand there and he's going to feel embarrassed and he's going to feel awful. And so Paul says, love before freedom. So in that moment, give up your freedom to talk about that matter because you know it's going to make it difficult for him to fellowship. He, he's never suggesting you give up your freedom. Uh, to to see a certain movie, but he's saying don't pressure others, and and alcohol would probably be the most common, right? Right? If you invite someone over and he doesn't believe in drinking alcohol, well, you don't serve alcohol. If he's gone, you know, you drink your glass of wine or whatever. So that's the idea of love being the guiding principle in how we use our freedoms, and that's kind of where you were going. But any other comments as you add to that? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think this is this this verse right here actually provides a good balance between um, freedom and love. Um, if a freedom that leads to utter chaos is obviously a freedom that has no love, but a freedom that 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 has love leads to maturity, um, order, and, and unity. And I just find it interesting because um, 
we actually see that this principle is it's obviously very difficult in application. We actually there's no there's no set way as to how this will actually look like, and it, it obviously requires the, the the wisdom of the elders in a particular church to see how this will play out in in multicultural settings. But for me, an interesting example would be when Timothy gets circumcised. For someone like Paul, who's very um, opposed on imposing and forcing people to get circumcised because that's the proper expression of the Christian faith, that he he rebukes harshly, very harshly. He has no no patience for those who proclaim such gospel. But in other instances, in this case, when 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 there are trying, there there he is encouraging Timothy to to work among the Jewish people. Since since Timothy was not circumcised, that was actually a very huge cultural obstacle for for Timothy to um, to do any ministry. Since Timothy had a Greek father, obviously meaning that he was himself wasn't circumcised. But for the sake of ministry, you see actually an act of love towards a neighbor. Not it, it wasn't forced on Timothy. It was it is obviously implied that Timothy, out of a love towards his Jewish neighbors and a desire to min- to minister among them, he himself submits himself to circumcision. And we actually see this in in in, in a modern setting as well. Not in the sense of circumc- uh, circumcision, but for example, in in, in countries where Islam is is predominant. You see Christian women or, or Muslim converts who become Christians, instead of actually um, doing away with the hijab, which is the head covering, they actually keep it. And missionaries who actually go to these predominant Muslim countries, if they're women, they actually maintain the hijab in order not to shock the neighbor. Because sometimes there are unnecessary obstacles for the gospel. And here Paul actually gives that 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 boundary. Hey, love over freedom, or better said, love with freedom. I'm pretty sure these Christian women understand that, well, if I don't wear the hijab, I mean, that's okay in front of God's eyes too. But for the sake of my neighbor and for the sake of the better proclamation of the gospel, I'm going. I'm willing to submit to these cultural norms. And obviously how that looks like is, is very flexible. Right. So a good application of that is if I wanted to go minister downtown Houston to the roughest areas, the church should buy a tattoo for me, put a tattoo on <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Face tattoos are, are, are the best way to relate with, the, with them. Okay. Well, we'll see how that goes at the next session meeting. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to make one more point before we close. I, I have some closing thoughts on this. But the next point is that the Apostle Paul does not allow us to call for a uniformity of convictions based upon broader principles. And this is where conservatives tend to sneak legalism into the back door. Because uh, Romans 14 gives us all this freedom, each one of us, to follow our convictions before the Lord. And no church, no denomination, no pastor. And if you're an adult, no parent, uh, no husband or wife, uh, no boss or government official. Nobody can violate your conscience before the Lord. We are to follow the Lord and do what we think is right. And so that's the great freedom we have to each of us, not to call any man our fathers, John writes, but to have this personal relationship with God where we follow our convictions. Um, We're not allowed to take away that great privilege based upon what we call general principles or nowadays it's worldview or the fact that somebody may misuse this freedom and so we have to take it away. 
Any type of sneaking legalism into the back door is condemned. You know, Jesus did not have positive things to say when the Pharisees taught their traditions, even though they thought their traditions would keep everyone safe and keep everyone on the side of careful obedience. Jesus did not praise them for adding to the word of God. And so no misuse of Philippians 4.8, which is whatever is true, whatever is honorable. That isn't about what you watch on television. Philippians 4.8 is about what you think about other Christians in the church. That's the context. Um, and so that's not saying you can only watch Disney movies. Um, politics, you can believe in different political views like Christians all around the world do. Um, if you think socialism is the best way to help people and have a society, right or wrong, you're allowed to believe that. If you think capitalism is the best, um, you know, you're allowed to follow your convictions. And so what, what Christians do, what conservatives do is they say, well, because of these general principles, then you have to do such and such. So yes, there's no one verse that really commands homeschooling and no Deuteronomy 6. Matter of fact, Deuteronomy 6 says both father and mother are to teach all day. So if you're going to follow that, the man has to stay home too. But the general principle of raising your kids in the Lord does not mean you have to homeschool. For you, if that's your conviction, fine, as a parent. But you can't take general principles and then, okay, this is the application we must all agree to. And so the freedoms we have in Christ to follow are there and they cannot be taken away with any tricks or uh, broader concepts that take away what Romans 14 clearly says, including any type of authority. Church authority does not take away the freedom we have, each have, in Romans 14. So that's my, I'm going to have some closing thoughts, but any thoughts of how we tend to take away the freedoms we've been given in the name of some principle. Yeah, and the first thing, honestly, that comes to mind is that, especially in our camp, we have a very reputation to be very elitist sometimes, very um, um, tribalist in the sense that, like, oh, it's, it's, it's my group, only my group is right, only my group is smart, only my, my group is biblical. And I mean, that attitude, I mean, people don't say it in, in, the, in, in those words, but we sometimes come across like that. And once we understand this general principle, right, that people can have personal convictions, whether it be in theology or in, or in culture, that, that allows us to better our relationship with other churches, other denominations, and other Christians. And, and, I, and I just think that, um, that that's important. So let me, let me close with this, and then I'll get your thoughts. When we talk about personal convictions and what Paul is teaching in Romans 14 and elsewhere, we have to remember that personal convictions are personal. They're based on our own life experiences, the way we were raised, the way we feel about things, um, the way our culture does things. They're very personal. And so we have to allow each one the freedom to follow their consciences. And so um, that's going to look very different based upon what you've experienced. And if something has been a bad experience in your life, then you're going to feel a bit differently about it than the rest of us or others who have not had that experience. 
And, and that can be in every area of life, any area of life. Um, so personal convictions are very personal. And it's glorious that the Holy Spirit allows us to be ourselves. Secondly, personal convictions are changeable. Christians change their views all the time. And so we shouldn't assume because somebody feels strongly about something in a certain way that they will in five years. I think we can all look back. And even your young age, you probably already do. But the older you get, the more you do this. As you've changed your convictions on things. Things that you used to think, I couldn't watch or do that. Now you feel free to do. Others, it's just the opposite. Um, and and you're allowed to discuss these things with other Christians. You can challenge them in a respectful way or ask them questions. It's not off the table. But then thirdly, personal convictions are not consistent. And that's what makes them personal. In other words, because you feel about something in one area doesn't mean you're going to feel it about in every area. For example, I gave this example in Sunday school. I like a lot of music from the 60s and 70s. That's my music. But there are certain singers, because I know so much about them, some horrible things they've done in life. It's hard for me to listen to them on the radio. I feel kind of icky. So I turn it off. Now, you could challenge me on that and say, well, you listen to rock and roll all the time from the 60s and 70s, and do you know what those guys did? <laughs> Actually, I do. And a lot of it was pretty awful. And yet, when I hear the music, it doesn't affect me that way. It doesn't bother me. You can say, well, that's not consistent. My answer is that's right, because convictions are personal. They're based on how I feel about something at the moment. That's what personal means. We couldn't all be completely consistent on everything. It's impossible because we only have our own experiences, our own thoughts and feelings. And so they don't have to be consistent with everything else in life. You can have a conviction simply because you have a conviction. And so the key to all this, of course, is back to the Holy Spirit. When a person becomes a believer, God fills them with his Holy Spirit in the new covenant. And that Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives him a new heart to believe and follow God. And now he, as an adult, he follows God his own way. Right when we get past the clear commands and principles of scripture, with all this freedom, the Holy Spirit allows us to use our own convictions. And that's the glory of the new covenant. That's why the church will be so awkward at times and uncomfortable, because we have this freedom. We don't like it sometimes. It makes us nervous. But it, we should see it as, as a glorious gift. Will some misuse it? Yeah, legalists misuse it, and those on the other side misuse it. But don't take away the freedom we have in the new covenant, because it is a wonderful blessing. So any closing thoughts, Osvaldo? Yeah, I think it's, you know, like you said, it was great. And I just want us to just pay attention to, to one thing that uh, about the passages that we've been going through is that notice that the language that Paul uses in regards to these brothers and sisters is weak and strong. Uh, that's, that's the language that he uses. And obviously there's, there's I think what, the, what, what he's communicating there is that there is always room for growth. 
the the Christian life is, is full of growth. And like you said, our personal convictions are obviously influenced by our life experience and culture inevitably will change as we grow, as we mature, as we experience different things. And consequently, they will always be changeable and sometimes inconsistent. But I think that's part of our sanctification. That's part of our growth. And when we think about the language that Paul uses here, weak and strong, um, one of the things that, that is heavily implied is, well, his desire isn't that the weak brother remains weak. There, there is hope there that, well, as he grows in Christ, as he, as he grows in his understanding of the gospel, he will be strong as well. I'm, I'm pretty sure it is implied that when Paul first came across the gospel, when, 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 when he was contemplating um, on his own as he, as he took that, the, the, the few years break to, to understand what, that encounter he had with Christ, I'm pretty sure these, these concepts or these, these subjects shocked him to the core as well, especially coming from a Pharisaic background. I mean, he was probably the weakest, the weakest of the weak. I mean, of course, he's not going to eat pork or anything. But we see we see growth in him as he grew in Christ, as he grew in his understanding of the gospel. He came to a point of strength, to use his language, where those things didn't bother him anymore, where he can say all things are clean in Christ. So it's just interesting how personal convictions are a really um, central part of our Christian growth. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's really essential. It's uh, it, it's it's recognizing what Christ brought in the new covenant, this we, we should talk about a personal relationship with God. I know it can be taken too far, but that's, that's biblical terminology in the sense. Well, you know, not that exact phrase, but that idea is very biblical that we do have. A, that's what Romans 14 is saying. We each have a very personal relationship with God, but we follow our own consciences of what we think is a way to live for him and live in this world. And this great freedom we have and, and the patience God has with us, as you said, that, you know, if we go off in an area, the Holy Spirit will, will convict us and, and we, we answer to God. And so yeah, I, I think that we, we need to reaffirm this in our churches so there's not this pressured uniformity that takes away the blessing of the new covenant. Well, should we end there? Yeah, I think that's a good place to stop. All right, well, let me remind our listeners, we do have a new Facebook page, Kaisis, if you look that up. And if you want to make any comments or ask any questions, we will answer them either in writing or on the podcast. And thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to talking more next week. Here I go!